Hello and welcome to Since the World's Been Turning. This podcast series is a journey through history, one guided by the lyrics of Billy Joel's song, We Didn't Start the Fire. Frontiersman, politician, folk hero, television hit and theme park attraction. Davy Crockett is truly a larger-than-life figure. Famous in his day, and famous more than a century after his death, even today he remains a familiar name and folk hero. In this episode, we explore the man behind the hit 1950s Disney TV show, the man beneath the raccoon skin cap. This Texas legend is perhaps most famous for his part in the 1836 Battle of the Alamo, which served to only build on his prodigious legend. Known in his day as the King of the Frontier, tales of his exploits would inspire and entertain millions over a century later when he hit television screens in 1950s America. The Disney TV show was a huge hit. By 1960, Americans had spent, in today's money, $2 billion on Davy Crockett merchandise. To explore the life of this iconic American, we're joined by Bill Cotter. Bill is a Disney insider and expert, having worked there for decades, and he'll help guide us through Davy Crockett's reincarnation as a Disney sensation. To start off this story, Bill sums up who Davy Crockett was. Yeah, Davy Crockett was an American frontierman, uh, you know, back in the days when they were pushing the western frontier uh, steadily out, and uh, a lot of people just didn't like having neighbors next to them, or there was always lore of the unknown. So Crockett was an explorer and an adventurer. He got into all the things that the TV show is famous for, fighting with Indians and the fight at the Alamo and everything. But he was one of a number of people that, uh, I guess, uh, wanderlust, attention of the unknown kept drawing to him. So he was known to Americans, uh, but not to the extent that uh, he was after Disney really put him on the map. There had been an earlier movie about Davy Crockett, and they talked an awful lot about him in schools, you know, with being an American hero. But uh, it was really the Disney show that made him a, 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 a so-called superstar. Davy Crockett's grandparents were early American pioneers, pushing west into the Appalachian Mountains in Tennessee, drawn by the promise of cheap and plentiful land. The land was only cheap and plentiful because the Appalachians were sparsely populated, rugged, and replete with hostile American Indians. While Davy Crockett's father was off fighting in the American Revolution, his grandparents would be killed in a raid by Chi and Cherokee Indians. When Davy's father returned home to find his parents dead, having just left a war, he would return to more death and destruction. At the age of 12, Davy struck out on his own, getting a job driving cattle. Seeking adventure, he would travel across the state, taking on a variety of work. One notable incident in his early life came in 1800, when a wagon he was driving broke and needed repair in Baltimore. Davy would find himself in the port town for many days. With little to do, he was quickly filled with wanderlust at the sight of the bustling port and enormous ships. He struck up a conversation with a ship's captain, who offered him work and the chance to travel to London. 
Yet when he attempted to slip away from his current employer, he was spotted, and his employer chased him with a whip. But Crockett slipped away unharmed, leaving weeks' worth of wages behind. He would slowly make his way home, having had his fill of adventure. By 1802 he would return home, now aged 16 and standing six feet tall, hardened by life on the road. Eventually he would buy a rifle and soon became a crack shot, winning many local shooting competitions. It was with this rifle that he would make his name and his living. He set out to newly settled wild land, where the game was abundant and he could make a living hunting deer and bears. In 1811, he would settle on land at Bean Creek. In 1813, after growing tensions, an all-out war broke out between the USA and Creek Indians. Settlers like Crockett were slowly and steadily encroaching on Indian lands, repeatedly violating treaties that prevented them from taking this land from the Indians. Yet when the Indians responded to the theft of their land, they were met with firm resistance and violence, so responded in kind. Massacres of settlers occurred, and the US government could not stand idly by, despite the massacres occurring as a result of repeated and blatant provocation on the part of the victims. They could not let their citizens be slaughtered. The war was a civil war, between Creek Indians, who were more accepting of westernization, and the Red Stick Creeks, who rejected it. Crockett dutifully signed up and would spend the next year fighting. He saw little action, however, as his hunting talents were used to forage for food for the soldiers. Following the war, he moved again, this time to Lawrence County, and began finding success in business and working his way up in local politics. Davy Crockett was a hardy everyman. He played right into his background as a rugged frontiersman, and stood in stark contrast to his fellow politicians who were upper class, near aristocrats. In a state election, he would famously rattle his opponent by memorising his speech and repeating it to a crowd before his opponent could deliver it himself. This cheek and humour would eventually see Crockett prevail. While initially failing to get elected in the 1925 election, he would eventually succeed in 1927, in part because he would come to blows with the President, Andrew Jackson. Crockett and the Whig Party would fail to challenge the incumbent President, Andrew Jackson. This spelled the end of Crockett's time in politics. Crockett went to Texas, looking to reinvent himself after the failed political career. Texas was truly the Wild West, a rowdy, rough-and-tumble state that was poorly regulated. A man of wit and determination could make a fortune in Texas. Crockett arrived in Texas and became part of a garrison at a place called the Alamo. A few weeks later, it came under siege and the resulting battle is one of America's most famous. The Alamo was a doomed siege in Texas, 
where American troops bravely and fruitlessly fought against a far larger Mexican force that sought to capture the position they held. It saw between 180 and 260 Americans face off against between 1,000 and 6,000 Mexican soldiers. None of the American soldiers, save a slave, would survive. Most would perish in the fighting, the rest would be executed on the orders of the conquering Mexican general, Santa Ana. The Alamo has achieved a kind of mythical status in American culture. The truth of much of it has been lost amidst legend, propaganda, time and retellings. More than a century later, Davy Crockett and his fascinating life would be resurrected on the silver screen and in theme parks by Walt Disney and his Imagineers. This resurrection was a triumph, a smash hit that ensured Davy Crockett's name would not be forgotten and that he would be placed at the heart of American history and culture. Thanks to Disney, Crockett would be reimagined as a hero and presented to a generation of children as the rough and ready man he was, only with less whiskey. Bill Cotter explains where the idea came from. It, uh, the show first screened on the Disneyland anthology series. Uh, like the theme park, it was structured in a certain land. So you had uh, the shows coming supposedly from Fantasyland, Tomorrowland, Adventureland, uh, that sort of thing. And then uh, Frontierland was one of the uh, segments that aired. Uh, they, they didn't do it all equally balanced. Some years you had more Frontierland. As a matter of fact, some years was very, very heavily Frontierland once the, uh, the whole Western genre exploded here in American TV. But it was one of the uh, four themed areas of the theme park and one of the four themed subjects of the, the TV series. And they had looked to do somebody, but they didn't know who they were going to do. There were all sorts of talk about this American Western hero, that American Western hero. And some of them I had never heard of before until I read the Disney notes. But they finally decided uh, Davy Crockett was going to be the first one pretty much almost picked out of a hat. And it became just a huge, I mean, phenomenal overnight success. The man who played Davy Crockett was Fiss Parker. Like so many men of his era, Fiss enlisted in the U.S. Navy, hoping to become a pilot, but was rejected because he was too tall at six foot six. He would instead serve in the Pacific as a radio operator. The GI Bill allowed him to study following World War II, and he pursued his lifelong love of theatre, obtaining a master's in theatre history. He played a string of bit parts in westerns until one day he got his chance, becoming immortalised as Davy Crockett. Bill Cotter explains. Yeah, Fess, it's interesting how they cast Fess. Uh, originally, they, they were going through uh, trying to figure out who to work with, and they were looking very heavily at Buddy Epson, who ended up later being uh, Georgie Russell, Fess's sidekick. Uh, Walt knew, Fess, uh, knew Buddy personally and had worked on him with a, a couple other projects, and he was getting close to it, but just, you know, sometimes things happen by coincidence or for whatever reason. There was a movie called Them, science fiction movie with uh, giant ants out in the desert that the uh, atomic radiation mutates them and they're out eating people in that. And there was a small scene with a, a state uh, policeman played by Fess Parker. 
And Walt happened to see the movie and he said, I want that guy. He's, he's going to be best. He's going to be Davy Crockett. So they brought him in and they did a uh, screen test and decided he was, he was going to be Davy. And it was interesting because Fess, Fess had uh, become a, a Hollywood actor. And it was a big thing in the 50s. If you were a movie actor, did you become a television actor? Because that was viewed as a step down. So he, he was a minor movie actor, but he still was afraid about becoming a TV actor. And his agent, in a, in a uh, real stroke of genius, said, I know you can only pay so much for this, this role, but can you kick in anything else? Can you give him some other reason he would want to do this? He'd really like to work for you, but it's just economically, this makes, he can make more money doing another movie. And they, they agreed to give him a certain percentage of the merchandise if there was any. And that ended up making Fess more money than he made on anything else. The Davy Crockett merchandise just, just exploded. So, uh, you know, he took the role, they went off and shot it. And, uh, I knew Fess. He told me he was as surprised as anybody else by the reaction and what a big hit it came. And uh, you know, 30 years later, he said he was still shaking his head in surprise that you know, he says that he was just at the right spot at the right time, and you know, uh, it, it, was, it was just magic for him. The TV show was a shock hit. Broadcast on the 15th of December 1954, Davy Crockett, Indian Fighter, took America by storm. Disney had no clue that a simple tale of cowboys and Indians would capture the minds of American children so strongly. Soon, all across America, children were playing and dressing like Davy Crockett. On the night of its premiere, Disney was in the middle of filming the third and final episode of the series, The Battle of the Alamo, Where Crockett Dies. So unprepared for success was Disney, that they had planned to kill off their new biggest star after a mere three episodes. To get around this, they went back and did a two-part prequel to cash in on the Crockett craze. Bill Cotter explains the wide appeal of the show. It kind of appealed to everybody, and that was part of Walt's magic. Uh, TV was really new. I mean, this thing came out in you know, 55, 56, whatever it was. Uh, they were still all trying to figure out what television was going to be. It's nothing like it's, it's done today. So he came up with a, a show that really appealed to uh, the kids with the idea of, you know, being a, a cowboy and fighting the Indians. But he also appealed to the men, I think, with the idea of being adventure and maybe I could be the hero. And it also appealed to the woman because he put a very charismatic uh, actor into the lead role that, uh, you know, he was just, uh, Fess Parker was, the perfect uh, casting choice for it. So it was universally loved across uh, basically all age groups, you know, old, old people, young people, male, female. Uh, it did exceedingly well in every, uh, every aspect for, uh, you know, today, of course, everything is so segmented and people go versus smaller niches, but you had a huge population of the American public watching that, that show each time it came on. So much so that the reruns actually were getting higher ratings than the original show because the people who missed it the first time had heard about it and about it and about it and about it. And when it came back, I have to see what this is all about. And they ran it and then they ran it a third time and the ratings were even higher. Everybody, you know, because there was no VCRs or, you know, TiVos or anything. So people, everybody had missed it. They had to go catch up to the phenomenon and see what the craze was. It, it, and craze, it really was. It was, it was, uh, like lightning out of a bottle. It was, it was just an insane time. 
A legal battle with ABC Broadcasting would prevent any future Davy Crockett episodes being made. Despite this, almost immediately, Davy Crockett merchandise sales exploded. Again, Disney were caught flat-footed, and enterprising opportunists began selling anything even vaguely related to the show as Davy Crockett merchandise. Everything imaginable was soon emblazoned with Davy Crockett, from plates to pants, puzzles to ukuleles. One estimate stated that 10% of children's clothing sales in 1955 were Davy Crockett related. In today's money, $2 billion in sales were made. The most iconic item of all the myriad merchandise was the raccoon cap, or coonskin cap. Overnight, it doubled, then eventually quintupled the price of raccoon fur. Anything that even vaguely resembled raccoon fur was used to try to meet the enormous demand. Interestingly, Fess Parker would not remember his breakout role in an entirely positive light. He would later note that his contract stated that he was owed a percentage of the merchandising sales from Disney's company. But according to Disney and its lawyers, this was voided, as Fess's contract was with Walt Disney personally, rather than the Disney company. This, of course, cost Fess Parker millions of dollars. The TV show was a family-friendly tale of American adventure, of cowboys and Indians, of the Wild West, and of Americans carving out a living from the land. It was nostalgic for a mythic time when America was barely formed, and pulled on those days to form a national history and founding story. The show saw Davy Crockett fighting bears armed only with a knife, braving stampeding bison, getting elected to Congress, racing riverboats, banishing bandits, and befriending Indians. There were only five hour-long episodes of the show, but it left its mark and endures today as a Disneyland attraction and a fond childhood memory of Americans who grew up in the 1950s. Davy Crockett was, and remains, an icon, his impact on American culture is huge. Bill Cotter explains what the Walt Disney version taught children and imparted on America. Don't be afraid of what people think about you. Uh, you know, do what you think is right and uh, let history judge you. Don't worry about today judging you. And I think a lot of people hearkened on to that, that, you know, you know, if you're a school kid and all the other kids are giving you a hard time, you know, uh, at school, worry about yourself and don't worry about them so much. And I think a lot of people took guidance or uh, 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 courage or, you know, comfort in the fact that I can be different. You know, I, I can go off and, uh, you know, do something. Of course, you know, there was all the, uh, the, the fantasizing that you're going to be as cool as Davy Crockett and you're going to ride a horse like Davy Crockett and do all the, the Davy Crockett sort of things. But uh, it really became a big thing of hero worship. So, uh, what American television all of a sudden started exploding with westerns, where you, everybody had to have a, a series, and you had to have the good marshal riding to town fighting the bad rustlers, and it really turned uh, American television for about four or five years on its uh, on a, on its side. That uh, 
the Western started becoming a really big thing. And Walt had a number of others that were also big hits, but he got really tired of making Westerns because I mentioned he didn't like to keep repeating himself. But, you know, some of the shows he was getting to 17, 18 episodes with the same character and he just wanted to get out of Westerns and he finally pulled the plug on, on that. But for a while, that was the big thing in American television was, uh, you know, uh, you had shows and I don't know how many of them ever aired in New Zealand. But Maverick and Gunsmoke and Bonanza, and, you know, just one after another, it was everybody was looking to the West and adventure and excitement and, you know, not looking at uh, the cities and traffic and all the rest of it. It was, it was again, you, you, you look to the wide open spaces and you fantasize getting away from the neighbors. Davy Crockett was an American hero. Up there alongside George Washington and Abraham Lincoln as key figures of American history. He was a simple, rough, rugged frontiersman whose incredible life was given the Disney treatment. He became a cultural phenomenon who will be immortalized forever. Thanks for listening to Since the World's Been Turning. Special thanks to our guest, Disney insider and expert Bill Cotter. Thanks to Will McGillivray for the introduction music and to our writer Angus Wilson. Please join us again next time as we continue to explore the people, events and places behind Billy Joel's iconic song with the magical and captivating story behind Peter Pan. For more episodes and information, you can follow NZ Pods, that's P-O-D-Z, on Instagram and Facebook, or you can visit our website, www.nzpods.com. That's nzpodz.com. Giving us reviews and ratings on your podcast service helps us share this project with more listeners, so please share your thoughts. We greatly appreciate your help in keeping this project going. Thanks again for listening, and please come back next time to hear more from Since the World's Been Turning.